folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to concerts, sports, and all types of shows. There's great deals on upcoming games, great selection, super easy to check out. And now GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or Apple Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app, create an account, then under the billing section, redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, it's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year on December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. And we're going to enjoy this tonight, but on Friday, we're going to have another team meeting and we're going to get locked in on next year. Hey everyone, welcome back to Protect the Rock, the Clemson podcast from The Athletic. I'm Nicole Auerbach. She is Grace Rayner, and it is officially National Semifinal Week. We have been waiting pretty much all season to get to the games that matter, and they're finally here. Uh, we would love to have the honor to introduce you all to our colleague Ari Wasserman. He covers Ohio State and really is probably better known this time of year for his fire Twitter takes. Ari, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, guys. It's my pleasure and honor. <laughs> um, so Ari does a great job covering Ohio State, also has um, a podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. So you can definitely listen to that for more of the other side of this matchup. Um, but we will start with this, Ari. One of the, your core tenets of belief system is that there are only six to eight teams that can win a national championship every year, and there is a reason why. Can you explain that to our listeners? Oh, yeah, it's not my core tenet. It's like my Bible. Um, <laughs> if, if you, like, look Go at just every single year, it's the same teams for a reason, you know, and it's all based on what we saw happen on uh, National Signing Day, the early signing period. So, you know, it's about uh, – this game is about coaching. It's about development. It's about strength coaching, all, all the things that we like to write about. It's all important. But you don't even have a chance to come out of the blocks unless you have a team that's loaded with NFL talent to win it all. Um, and, like, if you go look at the Clemson National Signing Day <laughs> situation with the, was it, six five-star prospects in the number one class, one of the best classes to ever be assembled in the modern-day history of recruiting, like, they are going to be really, really good for the next three or four years because of that class. And every single season, you have a, you have a window into why these teams are great. And if you take Ohio State uh, as an example, I think they signed nine top 100 players in the 247 sports composite rankings. And the rest of the Big Ten signed six total. It's about players. And, you know, like right, right at the beginning of my journalism career, I, I spoke with a former Ohio State coach, John Cooper, and he said, everybody tries to make college football so, so difficult. Well, it's really simple. The teams with the best players win. And to me, more important to, than even winning games, and I know it sounds crazy in the regular season for a coach, his job is to accumulate talent. And I'd say that's 80%. So if I were an athletic director and I saw my team underachieving in the world of recruiting, I would fire them because you don't even have a chance. So, you know, the thing that I sometimes need to, to be better at is understanding that I cover a team like Ohio State that is one of the top five teams in America and that that's not the reality. And Clemson's in the same you know category, but that's not the reality for 85% of the regular other teams. But 
you know, I do think that the teams in the Big Ten with the, the TV contracts and the money that they're getting, and I think teams can do better. And I just don't understand their strategies sometimes. I don't understand what they're doing. And, you know, when you're, you're signing a class that's up down there with, like, group of five teams, like, how do you expect to ever beat Ohio State? Which is why they run through their schedules with no opposition. So, all right, then what would be – so, okay, so obviously when athletic directors look at this, you can measure wins and losses on the football field. What would be considered, like, how do you measure underachieving? Is it like, would you do that? Uh, you need to have this threshold of this ranking? Like, I don't know, how do, you, how do you measure that if you're an AD? I think when you're an AD, you have to have a real solid conversation with yourself at the beginning of the hiring process of identifying what is my program. What is, is it? A, is it a team that should compete for a national championship? Is it a... Is, is it a successful season if you win a bowl game? Um, and, or is it a, do you want to compete for a conference championship? And there's a lot of teams, like even in the Big Ten, like Penn State and stuff, I don't know that they enter a season um, thinking, hey, we're going to win a national championship this year. But if you're the athletic director and you want that, then you have to demand results in that way. Um, so to me, I, I, I sometimes do have to like, it's a good question you ask because you have to measure that. Um, and you can't just be like, well, you're the University of Utah. You should be winning national championships every year. That's not the way it works. But what you need to do is you need to figure out what exactly your threshold for success is in terms of what your program should do. And then you need to recruit to that level. And you measure that by what your peers are doing. So there's not a, a level of, well, you need to sign six, five, six, five stars like Clemson did if you're like Wake Forest. But if you want to compete for a, a ACC championship, then you need to do at least – what everybody else in that conference is doing, um, but a step forward to beat them. You just have to have better talent. So, you know, I know that a lot of times my takes kind of make people upset, and I can understand why, because, you know, what Ohio State standard is isn't the same standard for Michigan State. Like, I get that. But Michigan State signed, like, the 44th best class in America, and it was, like, down there with some teams that aren't even Power 5 schools. Like, is that acceptable? Is USC, I know that they put Clay Helton in a bad position, uh, with people not understanding whether or not he was going to be back next year, but is having a class that's worse than Bowling Green's acceptable for the University of Southern California? Like, it, it, you just have to measure it and put it within those those expectations of what that program should be. And sometimes I feel like those are out of whack. Sure. Well, your Twitter was fire, as Nicole and I have laughed about. But uh, switching gears to the actual Fiesta Bowl, I'm curious about – I wanted to ask you sort of about the mindset at Ohio State because I thought it was – interesting at Clemson we, we had media day and basically every Clemson player got asked about having the advantage because they've been here before which I don't know that I completely buy into because I think Ohio State has played in a lot bigger a lot more important games this year than Clemson has so I don't know I'm just curious what you make of of I guess that narrative that, that Clemson is better prepared because they've been there before well I think it's twofold um and it's funny and, you know, when we get down to Phoenix together and we're all sitting together, I don't know if you remember, like, when we were at in August, we're like, well, Clemson took Ohio State's spot in the national spotlight. Like, that's, like, something that we can do this week. Or, like, that's, like, my big story. But, like, the idea of um, Clemson being here before, again, is twofold. Like, one, they have a really solid team, a really great team. They're defending national champions, and they, they return the best quarterback probably in America. Um, but this team also reminds me a little bit of the 2015 team, um, to some extent, or at least in the beginning of the year, of winning a national championship the year before, um, maybe even earlier than you were supposed to because Trevor Lawrence was a true freshman, and then coming back next year not having that same like fire to win it all because you've tasted it already. 
I think that's just human nature, and I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing uh, Dabo Sweeney out there saying, well, they didn't want us in and all the stuff that he's been saying about Clemson not getting in, like like they're not favorites to win the whole thing. You know, I think he's trying to find a way to motivate his team to want to have that desire to win it all, and I think that's real. But in terms of experience and playing in the stage, that's absolutely real too. Um, having played um, in the playoff last year, having won it all, I think that gives the people that are playing in this game the temperament to understand what it takes to win a football game. And Clemson didn't just win games last year. They destroyed the teams that they played um, in, in a very impressive fashion. So to me, I would definitely agree with the sentiment that you know Clemson should be the favorite in this game. I mean, they are. Um, I, the one thing I will say about Ohio State is that they view Clemson as the team that has kind of taken their spot and, and because they have, they've beaten them on the field twice, both in the orange bowl and, and in the playoff in 2016, a few years after that. And uh, they've come into Ohio and done the one thing that no other program has been able to do. And that's take a five-star talent that Ohio state wanted dearly and, and, and took them out of Ohio. And now he's our starting tackle. So in Jackson Carmen, so I think they view this, this team, this game as a measuring stick to see, hey, are we back to where we should be or where we thought we would be um, in 2015 when it looked like they were going to be the team that knocked Alabama off? It turned out to be Clemson, and now Ohio State has a chance to play that team. And you have to remember, too, guys, Ryan Day's existence at Ohio State happened as a result of what happened in the 2016 Clemson game. I mean, they went out and got a new offensive coordinator because it got shut out by, by Clemson in the playoff. And now a few years later, he's the head coach. So I think this is like a good litmus test of saying, is this the building process of where they are, they're, they're trying to be? And I think there's a lot of motivation for that as well. So Arya, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the fact that Ryan Day hasn't been there very long um, because I, I just remember thinking, okay, you know, the Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley transition went amazingly well but people got to realize like that you, you can't just do that and then uh, Ohio State it's doing it again and even better and and you've got a first-year coach in position to go undefeated win a national championship if he wins two more games is it crazy to think about the outside narrative entering this year was oh is this the year Ohio State's going to be gettable and Michigan should really be able to get them this year and they got a new quarterback new new coach you know this could be a drop-off year I don't think it's crazy. I, I, before the year, I picked them to go 11-1, and one, and I thought that that was an optimistic viewpoint um, because you don't know. I didn't know. I thought Justin Fields would be okay. I didn't think he'd be this. Um, I thought that there would be some transition period in terms of replacing a legend. You don't just, you're not supposed to lose Urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins and be fine. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to work. But conversely, when you talk about um, the beginning part of this phone call, Ohio State signed and it still stands even more than this Clemson recruiting class in 2020, the best recruiting class on paper in the history of modern-day recruiting in 2017. And now these kids are juniors and, and, so, and registered sophomores. So, of course, this is happening. I mean, their team is loaded. Chase Young's a five-star prospect from that class. You know, I mean, these guys that are helping Ohio State elevate to this level are all players from a great recruiting class. So it's, it's black and white to me. Um, I think the reason why they're here is because they were fortunate enough to find a generational talent at quarterback at, in Justin Fields, who, um, of course, uh, left Georgia and has turned out to be exactly what he was supposed to be during the recruiting process. And a funny stat for you guys, he's the highest rated recruit to ever play at Ohio State. And when you put that into uh, the, the sheer numbers that they've put into the NFL, that's a pretty crazy statistic. So, um, you know, the thing that I, I, I do think that people have to understand is uh, – Losing Urban Meyer was a, a big blow 
Um, but the thing that made Urban Meyer so great, um, and I would argue he, even more so than anything he ever did on the field, was the way that he built this program. The way he raised the standards of expectation of what recruiting classes should look like. The infrastructure, the strength coach, the player personnel director. I mean, everything that he built at Ohio State is still here. He built that race car, um, and now Ryan Day is driving it fast. So the, the long-term effects of Ryan Day um, taking over the head, as head coach is going to be the real test to me. The fact that they're really good this year with the players and with the program and infrastructure that Urban Meyer built isn't surprising. What would be surprising is if they're playing for a national championship in 2024 um, with a new coach that no one ever heard of two years ago. That, that I mean, because Urban Meyer, what he, what he did, he's a program builder, and Ohio State's built to the, to the highest potential right now. Ari, you mentioned Justin Fields. What is, where is he health-wise? Kind of what have you seen from him, heard from him in these, whatever, two weeks that they've had off since the conference championship? Um, I, I think that he, well, he had an MCL sprain, and I'm not a doctor. Uh, my mother would have liked me to be, but I'm not. Um, and, <laughs> uh, but I, I How went dare through you? the, yeah, but I went through, like, online reading about it like we always do when injuries happen, and MCL sprains, um, depending on the degree of them, can be a very uh, tough thing to overcome, but sometimes if they're not uh, very um, tough, if it's not very, um, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? Severe. I'm sorry. Um, you can come back in three weeks. So Ryan Day said that that by the time that they're playing, they anticipate that he'll be full strength. Um, they didn't run him the way that they wanted to run him against Wisconsin, and I think that's part of the reason why you saw that weird first half uh, against the Badgers in the Big Ten championship game. Um, but, you know, having three weeks to kind of just relax and get into rehab and not get beaten up again, and I think that they anticipate that he's going to be as close to 100% as he can be, and that's going to be huge for Ohio State. All season long, they've been trying to protect him from being banged up because their one weakness on this roster, more than anything, is their quarterback depth. If something happens to him, they're finished. They're, they're, they wouldn't even come within three touchdowns at Clemson, I think, if he got injured. Um, and I think they could lose other games in the Big Ten without him. That's how important he is to this team. So, um, you know, as of right now, it seems like he's going to be 100% ready to go. And there's no uh, holding back now, right? Like, it's it, do everything you can, run him as much as possible, obviously, while keeping him safe to try to win a football game. Because now, you know, it's for a national championship. Uh, last football question. Then we have a couple of Arizona recommendation questions since uh, oh, wow. you spend some time out there. But <laughs> last question is um, about Chase Young and going up against Clemson's offensive line. I'm curious, you know, what you're expecting there. And then also just based on what Michigan and Wisconsin were able to do to limit him and his impact in those games. Like, how do you expect Clemson to approach him? I think those teams did a very good job of limiting Chase Young in terms of numbers, but they dedicated two or three or sometimes even four bodies to stopping him, which is going to allow other players on this team to, um, you know, make plays. So Chase Young is maybe the first overall pick or if not the number two pick in the upcoming draft. Um, he's, in my opinion, the best player I've covered in 10 years, and that's including, you know, the Bosa brothers and Michael Thomas and some of the guys now that are tearing it up in the NFL, even Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, he's been dominant. So to me, the most exciting matchup I'm um, – really looking forward to seeing is Jackson Carmen trying to block him because Same. when Jackson Carmen was um, going through his recruitment here in Ohio, I went down to Cincinnati a lot and wrote a lot of stories about him. And he was supposed to be like the generational offensive tackle. Um, the guy that comes in and, you know, plays three years and then goes to the pros. And I'm, I'm very curious to see a few years later, now that I get a chance to like watch him with my eyes, 
see how much that prophecy has come true. And, and I think Ohio State's going to stand up Chase Young. They're going to do a lot of different things with him. He's going to rush from the middle on both sides. But, you know, the most intriguing thing to me, besides obviously watching Clemson's unbelievable wide receivers try to, you know, catch passes against Ohio State's secondary, um, is to see how they try to contain him. But the one thing that, you know, the reason why I put him on my Heisman ballot is because even though he, he didn't put up stats in those games, you could see, you know, Cone from Wisconsin, you know, flinching a little bit or throwing balls too early, even because of the mm-hmm. fear of him. Just his existence on the field is such a game changer. And obviously the more bodies you put dedicated to trying to stop him, the more people are going to have uh, room to try to operate and make plays themselves. So he's an invaluable piece of this team. And outside of Justin Fields, he uh, when he got suspended, that was the last person they could afford to lose. All right, last but not least, what are your best uh, food recommendations in Phoenix? And where are you going to make sure that I eat this week? Yes, this is important. Yeah, no, that's like, I don't know. Um, so like I'm here with my girlfriend right now. Um, I grew up here and she's gluten free, which is a real drag for me. Um, <laughs> that is tough. <laughs> a real um, drag. Man, that's yeah, every girl's so- dream to be described like that. Oh, no, no. I mean, in terms of eating, she's a wonderful person. Um, but to me, because I grew up here, I don't know if people know that or not, but um, the best pizza place on planet Earth is here, and it's called Spinato's Pizza. And, like, if it were up to me and I could take everybody to the place, Grace, I don't know what your diet is. I hope you're not gluten-free. I am um, not. I, and you like I'm pizza, a full-on omnivore. you guys um, out there to this place. So, like, the thing that I always tell people, too, when they come here is um, there are a lot of resorts in the Scottsdale area um, that have like beautiful pool areas and wonderful restaurants um, that you can just kind of walk into and kind of crash. I spent my entire uh, high school life, like walking into like five diamond resorts and just using those. (laughs) Um, And like for people who aren't staying in those types of places, if you have a few hours to kill, um, there are a million restaurants here. This is like, uh, this is like uh, almost Vegas where a lot of the best franchises of, um, restaurants and stuff have opened here, but you know, there, there, there's a, there's too many things to list and there's an awesome uh, brunch place in, in old town Scottsdale. We'll all, we'll all get our grub on. I promise. But Spinato's pizza is the best pizza on earth and nobody will talk about it. Uh, There's other like (laughs) trendy places that people like to say, this is the place I'm telling you. Well, it's because that's because, you know, like some of us are from New York, New Jersey, and that's where the (laughs) real best pizza in the country is. Yeah, no, I know it's offensive, and you have you probably have like your take on like <laughs> yes, I do. the uh, triangles and the flop and the way that you hold your pizza. This place is cut in squares, so like I'm Ooh, really going to offend yeah. you, but it's got unbelievable yeah, toppings. Absolutely Ooh. offensive. I'm kind of into this. Yeah, I know, but Wait, I think I'm going to try to prove some people wrong. Here's one of my favorite spots in that area. It's like fast, casual, healthy, and I love it for breakfast and lunch. Original Chop Shop. I yep. need to write all these down. Yes, my Grace, girlfriend love loves that. that place. Oh yeah, see that it has options for the gluten free among us, and Flower Child, and all those places, those fast, casual, healthy places that don't exist in the Midwest. Yes, Ooh, they definitely don't nice. exist in the Midwest. It's just like Wendy's and Arby's and all of that. Um, all right, Ari. Well, we will let you go. Get back, spend some time with the fam um, and your girlfriend, and avoid the uh, gluten. And we will, <laughs> um, I'm sure, see and talk to you. Soon, um, Ari Wasserman does a great job covering Ohio State for us at The Athletic and hosts his own podcast on Ohio State football. Thanks so much, Ari. Thank you, Ari. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
That was Ari, our good friend, and uh, does an amazing job covering Ohio State. He writes about stuff that you didn't even know was happening, like was a trend, was behavior, and obviously loves recruiting. Um, Grace, I thought what was really interesting was the way he was talking about his own expectations of Ohio State season. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of people, and, and maybe this is happening in the Clemson realm as well, people retroactively being like, no, I, I knew they were going to be this good. You know, we didn't. We didn't. No, we didn't. I mean, and he, I remember very vividly having that conversation with him in Chicago at our college football summit for the athletic. And he mentioned it just a few minutes ago about how we were sitting at this restaurant and we were talking like, has Clemson taken Ohio State's spot, you know, in the national spotlight? And we had this entire conversation about it, what, Mm -hmm. less than six months ago. So, yeah, I thought that was really good stuff. Great stuff, as always. And he's absolutely right about that matchup with Chase Young. So oh, lots for to think sure. about. We will have plenty more on our site at The Athletic throughout the week leading up to the Fiesta Bowl. Um, we also have lots leading into the Peach Bowl. So be sure to check it out. Um, but on that note, we will let you go. We want to wish everyone who listens to us a happy holidays. We hope you guys get some time with your families or some time in Phoenix. Uh, if you get out there for the game. And we just really appreciate you listening, tweeting, reviewing, commenting. Um, so we are uh, we're just very grateful for you. Have a great holiday, and we'll talk to you soon.